Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. I hope you're staying well. And I just want to let you know that this week's podcast is another one of our popular webinars. And this one is on recycling electronics, protecting your privacy during a crisis and beyond. You'll get some great insights from John Shigarian, co-founder and executive chairman of ERI. He's discussing the fact that the electronic recycling industry is at a crossroads, right? There's a dual responsibility. You have to keep toxins out of landfills while also responsibly and efficiently achieving data protection and destruction. Hope you enjoy this and please stay well. Thank you, everybody. And I hope you're having a good day and you're safe and healthy wherever you are. I'm John Shigarian, the executive chairman of Electronic Recyclers International. I'm also co-founder with my three other partners of ERI. Today, we're going to be speaking about recycling electronics, protecting your privacy during a crisis and beyond. I never expected when I started ERI with my three co-founders in 2002 that we would ever be featured in Time Magazine under the title of The World Has an E-Waste Problem. When we started ERI in Fresno, California, almost 18 years ago, we just had humble beginnings. And on our first month of business, we recycled approximately 10,000 pounds of electronic waste. 18 years later, in January of this year, we recycled well over 20 million pounds of electronic waste. E-waste was the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world in 2002 and in 2020 it still is the fastest growing solid waste stream on the planet. The new twists and turns that have come to the industry that we've learned and adjusted to during this journey I'm going to share some of those with all of you today. But I digress. Last year, Time Magazine was doing this story on the e-waste problem in the world. Because although we've grown up as a little company over these 18 years to have eight locations and become one of the largest recyclers of electronic waste in the United States, along with many of our very good competitors. The problem is still large and real. And as it says in the article from May 23, 2019, less than a quarter of all U.S. electronic waste is recycled, according to a United Nations estimate. And I think that's a generous number. I think even the number is less than that. 
Part of the problem with electronic waste recycling is that for years we've shipped our problem of electronic waste off our shores. This is a photo somewhere in Asia of people recycling e-waste. And as you can see, they don't have the right tools. They don't have the right technologies. And what happens when we ship our problems off our shores here in the United States, the problems of all different types of waste, but today this is about e-waste, is that you not only create more environmental harms, continue to liquidate the environmental footprint of the world by all of the shipping that you have to do, but you also create human rights violations, as many times youth are co-opted into this process, and you also create exposures for the employees there to many of the hazardous waste materials that are potentially contained in electronic waste, such as cadmium, beryllium, mercury, lead, arsenic, the list goes on. Electronic waste continues to pile up. Electronic waste continues to pile up in the United States. And the numbers are sort of shocking. In this article from 2019, there was a statistic noted that 82% of households have no plans to recycle or sell their devices after they stop using them. And this was from a UK study that had been done. And in this study and in this article, they said approximately 50 million tons of electronic and ele electronic waste is produced every year. And at that rate, the amount of waste will more than double to 120 million tons annually by 2050. The environmental laws that cover electronic waste are quite big. You have RICRA, CERCLA, you have the universal waste regulations, you have extended producer responsibility laws that are in approximately 24 states or so. In California, where I'm sitting and speaking with you from today at our headquarters in Fresno, you have the advanced recovery fee model. And in many states, there's also landfill bans. So in the beginning of this industry, it was all about the environment. And why these laws came into place was there's no reason to bury our old electronics. Because as we've proven over the years, if electronic waste is kept above ground and recycled responsibly, all of the items that are contained in electronics, the steel, the plastic, the copper, the gold, even the glass, can be moved to smelters around the world and be used for beneficial reuse.
to my point, as you see here, the different types of metals. Above is one of our shredders that shreds electronic waste. But as you see in the bottom left corner of this slide, these are just some of the commodities that all can be moved to smelters around the world and be reused again. And when done correctly, electronic waste recycling is a zero waste, zero emissions business. Nothing goes to a landfill or let's just say less than 2% of the material if, it has to, if there's some hazardous waste dust or something of that nature but it's still considered zero landfill, zero waste, zero emission business when done responsibly. Again, another part of the electronic waste recycling industry when done correctly is the reuse portion. Fancy term, IT, asset disposition, ITAD industry. This is just a photo of the different laptops moving through one of our facilities. But again, reuse is a very legitimate, credible, and responsible way to recycle and is a good part of the industry as it's grown up. This is not an advertisement for us, but it just shows you this slide eight shows you how, when done correctly, electronic waste is collected from retailers, cities and municipalities, large waste companies like Waste Management, Republic Services, and all the other great large waste companies, nonprofits like Goodwill and Salvation Army. It then comes to responsible recyclers in the United States. And as I said, what needs to be commoditized at its end of life gets made into commodities. And and sold to smelters around the world. What can be reused can be refurbished, retested, repackaged, and resold. And there should be a net zero at the end of every month. <clears throat> but now we're going to go into a topic that when we got into this industry, was not even on our mind. Frankly speaking, it wasn't on the tips of the tongue or tongues of most of America and actually the world. The issue of cybersecurity. When we got into this business, it was all about the environment, keeping electronics out of landfills, stopping the shipping of electronics, all around the world, as we saw in the earlier slides, mostly Asia, sometimes Africa, sometimes India. To recycle electronics domestically and create an industry out of it. But what happened along the way is you had the rise and the birth of small little companies like Palantir originally in Silicon Valley in the early 2000s, LifeLock in Arizona, I believe, in 2007 or so. So you had the rise of two big trends, cybersecurity and privacy. And I started 
talking about this in 2010 or so and 11 and my partners did as well as we went out and we did speaking at waste events environmental events and in other venues but most people looked at us like green martians until 2017 i was on a panel and there was a writer from Fortune Magazine, who was moderating our panel. And this was a cybersecurity event in New York City. At the end of the panel, he asked me for my business card, and he called me a few days later and asked me to go into more of what we were talking about on the panel, which was the appropriate disposition of electronic waste as a matter of security, as a matter of cybersecurity, the IT hardware side of cybersecurity, not the software side that had gotten all the publicity for many, many years. And this gentleman was the lead writer. His name was Robert Hackett for Fortune Magazine on cybersecurity. And he was in shock that he had never covered this issue before, or even thought about it. And he then took the issue back to his editors came back to me and said, my editors are very excited for me to write this story, which he did. It was in this issue with Jamie Dimon on the cover. And the title of the article was Dead But Not Forgotten. And I won't waste your time, but of course you could have access to this article if you want this PowerPoint after this presentation. But the essence of the article was the last sentence, where Hackett wrote, it turns out that e-waste isn't just an environmental menace, but a cybersecurity one, two. And then people stopped looking at me like a green Martian. And then people started realizing electronic waste Yes, it's still an environmental challenge for the planet, for our communities, for our country and other countries, but it's now also become a cybersecurity challenge as well. This is just a short list here from 2016 to 2020 of some of the brands that have been breached. You've read about most of these breaches. They've been on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, or other great newspapers and periodicals. Marriott, Facebook, Yahoo, Equifax. The names go on. The brands are large. The stakes are high. People lose their jobs when there's a breach. Look at Target and, and look at Sony and other brands. That when they had a breach, executives had to leave. There's also millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars at stake. Ransomware situations. Notice 
requirements that aren't met. The issue of cybersecurity is real and it's growing. And electronic waste plays a large role in that now. These are some of the data security laws in the United States that are historical. We've all heard of HIPAA, FISMA, COPA, FERPA, but now there's a new wave of legislation that's come to America. Four states have already passed new data security laws around privacy, around cybersecurity, around protecting consumers from organizations that misappropriate or don't fully protect consumers' information. Nevada, California, New York, and Maine were the first states to pass these laws. Here's a very important map that really shows you what's going on with regards to cybersecurity and privacy in America. You see, GDPR was passed in Europe in May of 2018. As we're going to see in some later slides, fines were apportioned and publicized. And as America goes, the American mentality is typical, is that, okay, if they could do it over there in the EU, and they could do GDPR there to protect consumers from organizations that aren't managing data and privacy the right way of their constituents, we can do it bigger and better here in America. So what's happened since May of 2018, there's approximately, give or take, six or seven different types of federal legislation that's been proposed on our own GDPR version here in America. And here you see the slide, number 12, that shows you all the different legislations that are being proposed around America. Right now, currently, 22 states, including the four I mentioned, that already have laws. Maine, New York, Nevada, California have the laws, but then you see the other states that have the laws in proposal. And they say by the sometime in 2022, all 50 states will have their own version of GDPR, data security and privacy laws, and there'll be a federal version as well. And this lays over all the historical laws that I already showed you. That's on, on, the, on the previous slides. So the noose is going to continue to tighten around cybersecurity and the rights to privacy in America, in the EU, and around the world. As I mentioned a couple minutes ago, once GDPR came out, they started putting fines out. Here's an article on how Google was fined, 50 million euro, about $57 million US for, again, in the EU, not protect, protecting their constituents enough to their standards, to the standards of GDPR in the EU. Here's some GDPR advice that came out of uh, an article from 2019. Good advice on slide 14 in terms of learning the basics, inventorying data, understanding the guidelines, a data purge policy, 
and also appointing people to in your organization in the in the EU and outside of the EU to understand what GDPR really means. Good advice, actually. So now GDPR comes to America. The federal government doesn't wait a moment. The FTC takes it upon itself to make a case against another huge brand for their privacy violations, Facebook. And the stakes have risen, and a $5 billion or so settlement is struck with regards to the privacy violations. So as I said, the noose is tightening in the EU and in America and around the world, and the stakes are rising. Cybersecurity is real, and as I'm going to show you in a little while, e-waste plays a large part of that. Also realize other trends that are going on right now with regards to electronic waste. 4G to 5G is happening, and this creates a massive turnover of electronics as people want to be able to platform the new abilities that come with the 5G technologies. So it's just become human nature to want the latest and greatest of whatever comes out. Cell phones, tablets, gadgets, Internet of Things. And the 4G to 5G transition is just going to create a massive onslaught and volume of more electronics that need to be recycled responsibly. Again, another article on that and its relation to cybersecurity coming out of the Financial Times. And then we start picking up on the other trend of the Internet of Things. Gartner did a study on this, that the number of Internet-connected items will grow from 14 billion to 25 billion in 2021. We're going to get into Internet of Things in a little while. And here we are. Think about all the new items that have been created been invented even since we started ERI. Frankly speaking, when we started ERI, there was no iPhone or iPad. Drones weren't part of our vernacular, nor was there an Amazon Echo. Wearables had not become a thing, as you see here in the bottom left of this slide. Devices with computers and televisions in them, home appliances, Again, were not a thing in 2002, and now they are. Nor was there a wonderful device called a ring doorbell, which brings great security to our homes and our neighborhoods across the United States and the world, but also brings insecurity if the hackers get their hands on them. Nor was there a Nest thermostat, and I could keep going on and on. Cars were not computers on wheels in 2002 like they are today. These are all part now of the e-waste ecosystem that need to be handled responsibly, both from an environmental perspective and a cybersecurity perspective when they come to their end of life. I'm not going to walk you through this entire slide because we could spend the rest of the webinar just on this slide, but I highly suggest that you spend time really looking at it.
because it's chock full of very important information. Slide 19's title is, What Do Your Devices Know About You? Oh yeah, your devices now, including your cars, have your contacts and where you've been and your text messages and phone calls. Of course, your GPS locations, bank accounts, passwords, credit cards, social security, these are just to name a few. And it makes it really easy for the cyber criminals to get access to your entire life if your old electronics are misappropriated or disposed of incorrectly. Again, I was shocked three years ago when I was asked to speak at the LA Car Show. I don't know why I was so shocked. Because when you see the slide that here we created for it, cars are basically computers on wheels now. So much of the guts of a car, when they're done being used, should be recycled appropriately also and responsibly. And the data should that's contained in your automobile should be destroyed. Because again, your car is now carrying your personal information. And if gotten into the wrong hands, could cause a real problem for yourself or for the organization you work for. Again, this webinar is happening during the tragic pandemic of COVID-19. And we're going to go into now some of the latest trends of environmental and cybersecurity and electronic waste and how to handle it responsibly during a crisis such as COVID-19. So since many of us, if not most of us, are now working from home, this has created a new trend of opportunities for the cyber criminals to prey on employees. We're going to get into how and why, but in this slide here, it shows Department of Homeland Security's new security guidance that was put out recently with regards to teleworking. These are some of the new schemes, and they're limitless, and I know we have time limits today, but I'm just showing you some of the articles and some of the new schemes that cyber criminals have come up with as the world is highly distracted with this pandemic health crisis that we're all living through, and they're taking advantage of all of us being distracted to create all sorts of havoc with regards to cyber crimes. One is called a BGP, a Border Gateway Protocol Hijacking. This is when an attacker redirects web traffic away from its intended destination and then they create monetary gains, which can be read about in this article here. Every slide that I've provided has a live link to the article, underlying article, so when you want to do a deeper read on any of these issues, most of them will have a deeper read available to you through a live link. Again, remote working has created literally a playground this article talks about. 
for spies and cyber crooks. Most of us weren't prepared for such a crisis and to work from home so quickly. And it basically exposed the gaps in security that organizations have. For instance, this article talks about employees using unfamiliar software, where the settings were wrong, are leaving themselves open to breaches. Many people are working from aging laptops and other electronics at home because the change happened so quickly. And again, where are these old electronics going when switch outs are being made, when organizations are sending new electronics to people's homes for them to work from? Who's watching over all the home electronics now and that entire ecosystem of how they're handled, how they're maintained, how the information on them is protected, and what happens to them from the homes at their end of life? Again, this is an article on the cyber criminals during this pandemic and how they basically took over a Czech hospital. This isn't only about ransomware and data breaches. Cyber criminals during a pandemic can mean life or death. If a hospital's infrastructure, operations, website, phone systems, electronics are shut down during a health crisis like we're living through right now, literally people's lives hang in the balance. And there's scores of stories now from the last 60 days enforcing that exact issue. The FBI has taken this issue very, very seriously and has made it clear that the cyber criminals are especially targeting the healthcare industry. Healthcare industry is very overwhelmed at this point, with good reason, and so they're seen as a very weak link, and their guards are down, and the cyber criminals are targeting them for that exact reason. Here's some FBI reports that are already showing that cyber crimes have quadrupled during this COVID-19 pandemic. Nation states have been attacking the U.S. U.S. healthcare agencies looking for information on trends that are going on with COVID-19 in the United States, vaccine research, and other high-value informational items. This is real. Another article on how teleworking has led to, during this pandemic, has led to virus-related phishing links and other cyber crimes that have cost people working from home or the organizations they work for money work stoppages, and data breaches. NASA even has jumped into the discussion, and they've also seen a rise in attacks on their employees that are also working from, ho from home. 
And so the balancing act of the rights to privacy and our expectations and our new laws and doing the greater good of working from home, probably under looser conditions and standards than when you're working from the office, has come into play. Here's a very, very stark statistic. In 2015, cybercrime in the U.S. totaled about $3 trillion. In 2021, next year, it's expected to go up to $6 trillion. The threat actors and cybercriminals are winning. It's not to say that the great cybersecurity companies on the software side and the hardware focus that has recently kicked in with regards to old electronics and IT structures that companies like ours handle hasn't made gains. But when the cyber criminals are walking away with $6 trillion a year, fueled greatly this year by the COVID-19 pandemic, it really turns the old adage on its head of crime doesn't pay, cybercrime does pay. $6 trillion is a lot of money. This has become an issue of national security during this pandemic. It's bringing more and more awareness to protecting our electronics and our infrastructures and our clouds and our data centers. Slide 32, 2,500 COVID-19 themed threats that are ongoing. 2,500. That's why I say for today, I have limited time on this webinar with all of you, but for those of you who want to do a deeper dive and learn what's really going on, some of these slides and the articles and the information behind them I think could prove to be very valuable. Again, this is just another DHS warning on different phishing attempts that the cyber criminals are using and how they're using all sorts of doctor and nurse credentials to create fraud among people looking for health care or information. People are vulnerable right now. And the stakes are high because the cyber criminals are working around the clock to take advantage of our anxiety, our vulnerabilities, and our distractions. This is an article from a medical device periodical, but this shows what I was just talking about. Here's a quote from this article. Locking hospitals out of their critical systems will not only delay the swift medical response, Required during these unprecedented times, it could directly lead to deaths. Hospitals and medical organizations have become targets for ruthless cyber criminals who are looking to make a profit at the expense of sick patients. Again, Forbes covered the story on hospitals. Every day a new story comes out on COVID-19 
and the rise of cybercrime, both from a software perspective during this period and a hardware perspective. And these articles are all different versions of the same message during the last 75 or so days. So, in sum, electronic waste is still the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world. But it's no longer just an environmental threat, as Fortune Magazine and Robert Hackett pointed out. It's now a huge cybersecurity one as well. And if I wasn't really clear early on during this presentation, what's happened to the responsible electronic waste recyclers that have survived and thrived in the last 18-year period in the United States and, frankly, around the world is that we've become what Shredit and Iron Mountain are and what they do to data on paper, that's what we do to data in old electronics and IT hardware systems. So e-waste handles and is the answer to two of the biggest growing trends in the world. E-waste recycling is the issue of the circular economy and sustainability and environment and the issue of cybersecurity on the hardware side. And if you need to reach me, my email address and direct phone number are on this slide here. I thank you all for your time today, and I wish you all continued safety and good health. Thank you again. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that and got as much out of it as we did. And there are other webinars as well up on Waste360.com, as well as this one if you'd like to pass it on to a colleague. Take care and be well.